Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of the Goblin Lore Pod. I'm joined today by Alex Newman, and we're going to be bringing you an episode about our brain. This is going to be just a full-on episode about our thoughts, our brain, and kind of how our brain can lie to us. And so to start us off, I'm going to just simply kind of have a question for both Alex and I to answer. So I am Hobbs Q. I can be found on Twitter at Hobbs Q. Um, and uh, my pronouns are he, him. And the question that we're going to start with is, can you think of a time when your brain has lied to you? Um, I'm going to just start us off with something recent, kind of with everything going on with uh, COVID-19, because we're, we're doing a lot of episodes during this kind of period, and it's it's very relevant um, because uh, I was out on a run during this time period because that's one of my de-stressors and one of the things that is very good, but I hadn't been able to run for almost a week. And two or three miles into the run, uh, what do you think might have happened, Alex? You know, <laughs> you've been running for a little while. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, that might you might be breathing harder. You might be breathing harder. You might be feeling tired. You might feel yeah. short of breath, literally. Like, wow, I have some chest pain because it's harder to breathe. And my brain, naturally, its first instinct was to say, oh my gosh, I probably have the coronavirus. Yeah. Not, yeah. not you're out for a run, Thomas, but you have the coronavirus right now. Mm-hmm. So I think that's my example, just how, how simple uh, I can misinterpret an environment when it's even that clear that there's a very rational reason right in front of my brain and in front of my face. So that's mine. Uh, as you said, I'm Alex Newman. Uh, I'm found on Twitter at mill underscore chronicler. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. And uh, for for my example, um, as I tend to do, I, I want to twist this just a little bit. So this is something that I have done, but I couldn't think of a good example for myself. I don't even know um, why I bother coming up with like <laughs> questions. Well, I mean, they're they great give you a framework board. to break. Exactly. A good framework. Yeah, I, I can't be a good goblin and break something if you don't make it. For That's me true. To break. There has to be something. So I appreciate that. It's. It's part of our great teamwork. Um, but so the, this is an example of um, you know, when you hear the, you know, the I, we need to talk kind of thing, have a conversation, either an email or a text or a phone call. And it's the immediate assumption is, oh, this must be something bad. And this it's a, something that happens to me and I couldn't come up with a good example for me. So I'm going to come up with an example for when I told a friend, hey, I got to talk to you about something that came up. And his first assumption was it was something negative. And I didn't even think about it. Well, I just gotten a new job. <laughs> just got uh, at the same company, applied for actually the job I'm in right now. It was a great move to go to a new area, get a nice pay raise. And I was really excited about it. But I didn't put a lot of that context when I initially, uh, I didn't put anything. So when I initially sent him that text. So then when I talked to him at the end of the workday, um, his, his thing was, you know, congratulations. I'm really excited for you. Actually, he and I ended up going out to, you know, grab dinner to celebrate. But his, his response was, so I think we need to come up with a code because I assumed that it was something really negative And I spent all day thinking, oh, no, what's going on with Alex? Uh, so he proposed code unicorn is something that when we have to be, you know, send a, a quick curt message in the middle of a, the workday, just be like, hey, I need to you know, give you a call tonight. Code unicorn. So that we'll know that it's something positive, not something negative. It's very funny that you say that because, like, my first thought is I would just abuse it. Like, I would just, <laughs> it's too much fun. I would just be like, Code yeah. Unicorn. You got a Code Unicorn right here. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, oh, what happened? And you're like, yeah, this bag of popcorn, perfect. Not a yeah. single kernel wasted. It's <laughs> right. like, that, that is an abuse of Code Unicorn. I need to bring right. you up on a Code Unicorn violation. <laughs> right. Like, now we need to have a talk about <laughs> <laughs> proper yeah. use of Code Unicorn. That's that's right. So to just kind of start off this discussion, we did turn to the story. Um, we wanted to kind of find a, a little bit of a discussion within magic about kind of thought patterns, because this is not something that we tend to get a ton of, I would say. We mm-hmm. don't get a lot of inner thoughts of characters. I mean, we do it yeah. at times, there are stories where we do, 
but we are not really privy to kind of seeing how they're making decisions, how characters are acting based on their thinking patterns. Yes, and especially when we have less fiction than we've had in time past. And that's, I mean, that's a thing when you, you look at just storytelling mediums, um, written fiction com- as compared to like a movie, you tend to get a lot more inner thoughts of characters in the written fiction. And when we're getting our story mostly through cards, that's a medium where you're going to miss the, those inner thoughts. Yeah. Um, but but one ex- one character that you uh, we wanted to talk about um, is uh, Davriel Kane. Yes. Yeah. So he, Davriel. Davriel yeah. was introduced as a character um, actually through a novella. A novella by an artist, uh, well, not an author, that I know that you uh, really enjoy, Alex. Yes. Um, yeah. Brandon Sanderson uh, is actually, he is a big author. He's written a lot of books. He is also a uh, avid fan of magic. You go to conventions that Brandon's at quite often, you can do a draft with Brandon. And uh, so he and, and Wizards did a collaboration where he got to write a novella set in magic universe. So it's set on Innistrad featuring this character. Um, to my great and unending shame as a Brandon Sanderson fan, I have not read this novella yet. I keep forgetting well, you that I have to say that part out loud. Well, you know, we're, we're, <laughs> we're leveling with our, our people here. <laughs> honesty um, in Goblin podcasting. Honesty in Goblin podcasting is very important. But so we're, we're taking, you know, some the, the story that exists for War of the Spark and some of the story um, as written up in, you know, our wonderful guides online that we find to really talk about this character that we think has a, has a good hook to talk about cognitive distortion. Yeah. So this is from the novella Children of the Nameless. Um, interesting fact, it was recently pulled from Wizard's site where it was available for free as a PDF. Um, there was actually some controversy about that. You still can find it on the, like, uh, it's like the Wayback Machine. I know that, so this is still possible to find online, um, but it is a novella that uh, Brandon Sanderson wrote and takes place on Innistrad and introduces us to a couple of different characters. Most importantly, one is this planeswalker, Davriel. Now, Davriel will return in War of the Spark. Um, so we do know that, you know, Wizards has kind of plans for him um, and has been kind of using him. But we want to talk about him kind of pre-Spark, kind of where we first kind of meet him on Innistrad. Yes, well, and and he well, yeah. pre-spark is is before Innistrad. Yeah, sorry, before Innistrad because he actually um, spark. Yeah, walks over there. Yeah, and and so we, this is where we'll see kind of where this goes. I don't know that we need to go through all of the details of this, but the the important stuff that kind of touches on what we want to talk about, and one of the the, the details for Davriel is he can steal spells from other people. It's kind of, he takes spells from the minds of other wizards and and can use those. But his great burst of power, the thing that sparked him, the thing that argue might even be what Gate allows him to planeswalk without his own latent spark, potentially, is this entity that he took from another wizard. Um, and that entity has given him a lot of power. It allows him to hold on to the spells that he takes for much longer. But that entity also talks to him. And, and and communicates with him. And has vast potential. I mean, and I kind of think of this, yeah. this is why it's kind of the, it's, it's, it's a good analogy for our brains and for our minds because it has the vast potential and he doesn't want to necessarily tap into it. One of the things that's interesting about Dabriel, I, I love, he was a young accountant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> before, before he kind of pulled this entity out. He used it once um, and, and it was, when he uses it, it actually has like almost like cataclysmic power to yeah, it. Yeah, which is um, what ended up sending him. Well, not maybe not sending him to Innistrad, but that is when he went to Innistrad, attempting to basically hide and go off into the woods sort of thing and lay low. Because after tapping into the identity and doing... Uh, destroying, you know all sorts of, of people and whatever he decided that he needed to like destruction of go these two armies. Else. Basically he had been kind of 
planeswalking, learning information, had set himself up as almost a king because he wanted to have this throne. Um, and then basically gets involved with the struggle, draws upon this entity and kind of destroys two armies, which then also brings basically like he, he has this sense that others are hunting him. And mm -hmm. this is where I kind of where the entity piece is interesting because it almost seems to function as if something that is providing him with additional information and maybe kind of directing his behaviors. So what we know is he starts sensing that others are hunting him, which is a reason that he kind of like basically pieces out. Yep. Um, and then through events on Innistrad, he comes into contact with another a person who has a, has another entity like this, and the his entity and you know tells him to to take that and to consume it and to become powerful. Uh, yeah, and then so basically, the, this entity he like he he senses that somebody else has something similar to him, and his entity for what we're going to call it is is basically trying to basically say you need to do this, you should do this you this will make you powerful um this needs to be done um it's basically kind of searching out you know he what's funny is he had tried to like steal like some magic from this person because that was his kind of original power um and she was able to resist him which kind of kicked into this thought now we have some evidence of why did somebody how were they able to resist me like was there something that's similar to what I am experiencing? And his brain, this entity tells him, like, she denies it, she lies to him, or she at least says she does not have anything that's similar to his. The entity kind of confirms that she does. So Davriel's entity urges him to kind of take the second one, as we kind of said. Um, however, you know, they kind of, it, it ends up not really kind of, working out um i mean it's basically this idea that uh he gets this idea that if he was to be able to do it um nobody would dare be able to challenge him that he kind of has this that this would take him to a level that he would just be easily able to kind of have power and it's one thing he has sought and i think that mm -hmm. the question becomes he has always sought power what did the entity kind of do with that level yeah and is it you know pushing him to kind of do what he's done before? Yep. And how does he feel about that? And yep. So what's interesting is uh, there's a kind of a battle that goes on with this woman that he's met um, uh, and this other person named Willia. Uh, during this kind of battle between them, uh, Tessenda is her name. She's become kind of overcome with power. And Davriel's entity urges him to grab the power for himself. He decides that unwilling to become a creature that only caused death and destruction, he refused to do it. So not long after, Tessenda actually vanishes just into nothing without Davriel grabbing that power. As a result of all these events, Davriel becomes kind of known to other planeswalkers, which once again, he actually does not really want people to know that he has these kind of abilities mm -hmm. what is really funny about this is okay we're gonna just jump to war of the spark <laughs> and what i love about this because it doesn't show up a ton ton in the story but it's kind of like it's believed that his motivation for for kind of participating in the battle or at least showing up was to make other planeswalkers believe that he was useless yeah it's a, he, well he had no use in the conflict he showed up to make other planeswalkers believe he was useless in a fight um, rather than participate in the battle, he attempted to join a party being thrown by Norza Vampire, who was celebrating the bloodshed. And he also considered selling his soul to the Rakdos. Yeah. This, is, I mean, this, is like, <laughs> this is just like, I, I like to think this would be me if I just showed up on War of the Spark at this time. Like, <laughs> well, well, there's a party over here, and... Yeah. And, there's, and there's a big army over there. I know right. which direction I'm going. Yes, and then like, well, maybe if I sell my soul, this might work out. <laughs> I've had many days like that. He ends up fighting. Um, there is, he actually joins the battle. Um, he fought against the Eternals, and there is 
this really interesting that he fought off an internal by stealing the elder spell from his mind. Yeah. Leaves us to kind of understand as soon as this battle was over, he basically pieces out too. Yeah. He escapes to safety. So we don't know what's next for Davriel, but no. kind of the key points here is that Davriel has this entity kind of within him. It is something that he struggles with or against. I mean, he is the the the, the entity is urging him to do things such as grab power to um, mm-hmm. kind of take that for himself. It, it maybe is directing him to what planes to go to. There's some question kind of, I think, about that. Yep. What's what's interesting to me for the future, like before we get into like where this kind of ties into our topic, um, he took the elder spell. And if this entity allows him to hang on to spells for a while, so, yep. and he is pushing him to gain more power, he has the potential to steal sparks yes. from other planeswalkers. Yes. Now, last time he had the ability to just steal kind of an entity, which we don't know fully what an entity is, but we know that it is something that's giving power. And like I said, we don't fully know because there hasn't been enough story yet. It could have been what allowed Davriel to spark. Like he may not have had an innate spark. Um, the entity might be what allowed that to come. He had that chance and chose not to take it. This becomes really important, I think, for when we're going to get into our kind of discussion about um, our brain and about thinking in general. Because a lot of what we spend our time doing is actually fighting against our brain. I mean, would you yeah. say that this is correct based on what you yes. you kind of know, Alex? Yep. You know, obviously talking about anxiety and 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 depression and, and conditions like that. But even just in in normal life, it is astounding. And and I, this was a thing I didn't realize until well, going through therapy after being diagnosed for my social anxiety. Just how much thinking we do subconsciously, and how that pushes us into certain directions over and over again, and we don't realize that we're following those same patterns. And then when you come into a situation where you need to change that, how difficult that can be. Yeah. And this is why I do think that Davriel is kind of the nice jumping off point for what we want to kind of talk about with our real world topic today. Um, because we we know that he was somebody that always has had kind of ambition and has been willing to kind of, you know, he basically stole the entity to start with. I mean, that is kind of where he went. Um, but from there, kind of where Davriel goes what Davriel has done, what he, what he has been able to kind of even stop himself from doing that we've mm-hmm. seen is a battle that is going on within him. Now, there is a physical in this way or a, some sort of being that, that is an entity. But for the sake of kind of discussing our topic today, that's just our brain. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of times in fiction, like the value of fiction is that it allows us to extrapolate real things stretch them till they're slightly unreal so that they you know don't necessarily exactly punch us where we're sensitive but allow us to explore these things in a way that's a little bit safer and easier to explore yeah and and in that way this entity and and dev devriel works as a good analog thing i think it, yes i and i think that we're we're going to be like a lot all of our planeswalkers are going to be able to fit into some of the things that we're going to talk about today. Our characters in magic are because we are thinking beings. I mean, the basis of what we're going to talk about today, we've talked on the show a little bit around cognitive behavioral therapy as kind of a overall topic today. We're actually jumping into it a little bit more. So that means I do need to kind of start with just kind of a basic overview of what cognitive behavioral therapy is at its most simple, basic core. The idea is that we are people who, or we are beings that have thoughts. Those thoughts tend to lead to emotions or feelings, which then lead to behaviors. So the idea here is there's a triad between thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Um, The most common route to talk about is thinking leads to feelings, leads to behaviors. It doesn't have to always go in that direction. The idea, though, is that these three things are very interrelated. This is constantly going on inside of our brain. If you think of your brain as something that has, you you mentioned, Alex, how little you realized you were having thoughts about things, Mm -hmm. how much of it almost was in the background. 
or unconscious. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what this is based in because this is idea that we have developed over time what we would call automatic thoughts that mm -hmm. are made to kind of help shortcut us. That if we have an event happen, our brain is already jumping to what are we thinking about it? What are we feeling about it? What are we going to do about it? Mm -hmm. um, there's you know, only one problem with this. Don't mind me jumping in there. Yeah, to interrupt you. I, I have a good example, and this is this is exactly when I realized it. This was the the process I watched my brain go through, and it was astounding. And um, living with a former former roommate, um, whom I borrowed a lot of books because I, I do a lot of reading, and I can't remember which some book had just come out, so it's it's only in hardcover because that's how a lot of of fiction releases in hardcover first, and then they do paperback later. And so this was a long series that I had paperback ones. And so he asked me something, you know, well, why didn't you buy this book in, in paperback? And in my head, I know, you know, th that is the rationale because I couldn't at this point, but in my, my, for some reason, I can't remember why exactly when he asked the question, it kind of annoyed me and it felt like confrontational. So immediately my brain went into confrontation mode and I kind of watched the multiple options of how to respond. And then I went with like the snottiest response that I could. Mm -hmm. And that after saying that, then I, you know, tried to soften and apologize and say, well, and then I actually explain what I knew. But like all of that went through my head. Then the words came out of my mouth and then I was able to re respond in a sense. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what you just talked about there. You did get kind of information because you had a reaction from somebody, right? You had a person there. Now, a lot of times if we are sitting around, we don't have that. We have our brain. And this thoughts, feelings, and behavior pattern starts being kind of a spinning wheel. Um, you kind of can think of this as a simple example of, um, you know, I'm late for, my alarm doesn't go off and I go, you know, my brain automatically has the thought of, this day is going to be miserable. So I start to feel, or you know what, I'm screwed. This is not good. So I, uh, I have a feeling of kind of panic or fear or just, you know, even kind of sadness or depression, whatever it is. And then that leads to a behavior. Now, my behavior maybe is um, I just hit snooze and I, or I just send an email quick and I don't go into work. Well, now that decision to do behave in that way leads to a new thought. And that mm -hmm. new thought could easily become more intense and more unhelpful, which is this complete day is ruined. There's no point in me getting out of bed, which then leads to more intense feelings, which leads to behaviors. And you can kind of start spinning in a circle. But part of the problem is we're not used to thinking about our thinking, which is kind of this idea of this, if you've ever heard of metacognition. That is what we're talking about is thinking about your thinking, um, which lends nicely into kind of the within cognitive behavioral therapy. One of the ways that we help people kind of learn to slow down and to think about their thinking is simply to um, start asking ourselves a couple of different questions. Um, people might have heard of this idea of challenging your thinking, and there's a lot of emphasis in cognitive behavioral therapy traditionally on is my thought right or wrong, kind of that factual component to it, kind of am I lying to myself? So this is kind of if, if anybody has ever had cognitive behavioral therapy, you might have heard of something called a thought record where you basically write your thought down. And one of the elements that you do is write down your evidence to support a thought and your evidence to kind of dispute it. And you try to look at the both sides and kind of challenge your thinking. And the idea is really to slow yourself down always slow down. That's the biggest point to it. But also to kind of say, is this thought right or wrong? Is this thought true or not true? I actually don't find that to be completely helpful <laughs> because we can have true thoughts that are actually still very unhelpful for us to be thinking about. So on top of, I do think it's important to kind of get this idea on is, is your thought, you know, what's my evidence to support it? What's my evidence against it? And what we're going to be talking about today does play into that. It's also important to just ask yourself if you can recognize your thinking. Is this healthy and is it helpful? It sounds similar to some, some things I kind of, I don't know, I think of them as tools that I developed for myself after 
going through some therapy and things with my my anxiety where I'll have I'll find reaction I'll react to something in a way that I don't understand like I don't know why I have this reaction um, and often it's it's years and years of of operating with undiagnosed anxiety kind of caused my thought patterns and things to warp in certain ways and so now I'm kind of working through some of that still and so I find these little things and I will when I have the time and opportunity to and I see these reactions that's when I stop. And I try to work through. Okay, this is why. This was my reaction. This is this might be why. You know, what am I? What was I feeling? Where did that feeling come from? And I try to work through that. Yeah, so you, try I, to work, you almost try to work backwards, which is yeah. a very helpful. It, it sounds like some similar steps, but of course, you know, that's not looking at is this a factual thing, which, as you say, sometimes can still be unhelpful, especially in situations that we're in now. There can be some very factual, you know, thoughts about, you know, the symptoms for for COVID or whatever else that isn't necessarily helpful in certain situations. Right. Like it it could be very true that um, going out among people and shopping is risky and could lead to me getting a um, getting exposed. And. If that's leading us to not only then just completely isolating, which is we're having to do some of it because of the natural response, but it, it's our interpretation of that. Even though that's true, we we do have other things that we can be doing. We need to be thinking about, okay, how can I, what can I do in spite of this? And if we get trapped into this, well, it's just true. It's just true. I can't do it. Um, it's not really going to lead us anywhere and it can actually reinforce some of those um, cognitions. So one of the common topics that we do talk about or teach when we're doing um, cognitive therapy, if you're learning to kind of catch your thinking, it's good to kind of have a framework. Uh, at least it is for me. And uh, both um, Aaron Beck and David Burns are two of the biggest names in kind of um, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. I laugh because they're actually both... Um, psychiatrist and not psychologist, which is kind of the opposite of what we kind of think about when it comes to therapy. Um, I've actually seen Aaron Beck speak before and he jokes about the fact that like people will call him PhD and he always thanks them, but reminds them that he is actually an MD, which does not happen very often. Um, but it's just this idea that uh, these two gentlemen really worked at kind of the early work in cognitive therapy. Um, and the distortions we're going to take are actually from a really cool book called The Feeling Good Handbook, um, which is actually just a great almost self-help book that teaches cognitive behavioral therapy if you ever just want to learn it on your own. And that is from David Burns. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about common, what are either called common cognitive distortions or common mistakes in thinking. This is back to this idea that our brain lies to us. Um, and, and very similar to what I think happens to Davriel is his brain does lie to him and it kind of pushes him in one way or the other. And it is something that he is kind of fighting against. Uh, so well, as we're going through this, we're going to kind of just hit most of these. Um, we'll kind of take turns discussing them, explaining them in a little more detail. Uh, I will be including a link to this, uh, article that is really cool that lists these into the show notes. Um, and we may, who knows? Knowing us, we're going to find a way to hopefully relate it to Magic the Gathering. I've got a few ideas, but we're just going to share information. That's what I want to do today. Yep. Okay. Our first is simply all or nothing thinking. This is also called black or white thinking. So ways to kind of be thinking about this in your own world is if you're using the words every, never, always, none, you're likely kind of engaging in what we would call all or nothing thinking. Mm -hmm. This is this idea that there is no shades of gray in the world. And most of us live in a world of gray. Yeah. This is one of the, the handful. And like reading through these, I definitely recognize some of these both in my own life and from, from other people and, and characters and things. But this is one of the, the few that I definitely recognized as a sort of, I don't, I didn't, wasn't using the term cognitive distortion before you introduced that to me. But that I recognize as sort of a you know a, a incorrect way of, of of thinking that has been talked about outside of that the black and white thinking the you know no shades of gray right 
This is that idea that basically what's funny about this is if it is even if something is most of the time true, that is very different than if you are always emphasizing or <laughs> <laughs> this is the fun part about always doing these <laughs> um, is you're going to start noticing when you start using some of the language because sometimes most of the time is very different than always or never. Mm-hmm. So if you think about this, this might be important because if you think that something is a black or white, then you are kind of um, going to treat your world as if something is either always going to be fantastic or awful. And there's no in between before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this comes up kind of commonly in this idea of you either are perfect or a total failure. Yeah. And neither both are a lot to live up to in, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of unfair to yourself and others to hold yeah. someone as either perfect or a total failure. Yeah. There's a lot of room in between. And you can see this, this is, this is one of the ones that's most associated with kind of a rigid kind of, um, style of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of this as kind of being somebody that has a code that they do not deviate because that's what you do. Um, so, you know, if we kind of have, uh, if you have rules that you have to follow <laughs> and there's no way to bend or break them, this is where you can kind of get stuck with the all or nothing thing. Yeah. And I think in, in a small version of, of something like this, and you tell me if it kind of fits this or not, but often people end up in, in a bad situation when you're trying to do something like lose weight you're trying to well when you're talking about you know new year's resolutions mm-hmm. that's a, quite often you'll have the i'm going to do this every single day and by the third day you miss it or you know the second week maybe you get going you keep going for a little while but that one day you miss it and then suddenly it's like well now it's a failure it's not worth even trying yes so uh stopping smoking is an example mm. or or uh stopping substances in general where we have kind of this bias because uh, a slip is actually, you know, you have some use, you kind of return back to something that you did before. Um, you can let that turn into a full-blown relapse because you kind of have this, well, I already had one drink. That means I've completely failed. Mm-hmm. So um, the second one is overgeneralization. This is kind of taking um, an example that you have kind of one example of something. Uh, so Basically, you take an instance or an example and you generalize it to an overall pattern. Mm-hmm. So this would be the example that they give on the site is you receive a C on one test and you conclude that you are stupid and a failure. Yep. So it's using limited information to basically kind of uh, making having these thoughts about yourself and your environment based on only one or two experiences. Yeah, using a very small sample size to create sweeping generalizations about yourself or others. And yeah, th- again, that's not great. It, I like to think that this is how Norn the Wary actually developed. <laughs> like, like he just had like kind, yeah. of, a, kind of a couple, of, and, and then it actually like, developed into all or none thinking because it's yeah. like, you know, like we have the flavor text that we have of Norn the Wary. Uh, my favorite is the one that's like lemur versus lemur. And I like to think that something like that just happened, right? Like, is that the, it's the flavor text that he shows up in with Time Spiral, where you get the funny joke between, like, the two spellings of lemur, which is what led to, like, uh, the incorrect art on, a like, the card back in the day. Do you know what I'm referring to? I, I don't know what you're referring to. So, um, basically, uh, yes. Okay, so the the original card is... Hyalopterus lemur, L-E-M-U-R-E, which is a like actual mystical being in Dungeons and Dragons or in in kind of uh, history. Or, sorry, in, in fantasy, uh, the artist didn't know what it was and basically drew a lemur with wings on it. So, yes. Um. So then later on we get Norn the wary with like some flavor text because they had a viscid lemurs, which is actually a correct representation of it. And Norn the wary's flavor text is lemurs. Is that all finally something harmless? Oh <laughs> it's actually my goodness. He comes across lemurs. You know, the amount of time that I've spent going through that block and getting all these references, that is one that I never got 
because yep. I never understood what yep. that Lemur? Lemur? Yeah, but that, that was that the was. funny part was like the story behind it is in Ice Age, the, the artist drew basically a lemur on a card with wings. Wow. It's, and they had to like adjust around that. But so that's my thought here. You know, Norn the Wary had one or two bad experiences. Yeah. And he overgeneralized to basically everything is going to be <laughs> horrible and scary. So he runs away. Yep. So, so number three is uh, mental filter. Um, and this one, like you said, it has some overlap with, with overgeneralization. Um, this, this is uh, distortion is you focus on a single piece of negative information and exclude all of the positive ones. Um, their example is when, you know, a partner is in a romantic relationship dwells on a single negative comment made by the other partner and then views the relationship as hopelessly lost. Um, and, and in doing so, you know, ignoring all of the years of, of positive experiences and things. They describe this as kind of being like dropping an ink, like a drop of ink into water. Mm, okay. So if you've ever done this, you know, what, what ends up happening if you just drop one single ink drop into water? Have you ever done that before or know what that um, is? Like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm picturing it in my head, but you can't see that. And so I'm sitting here quietly going, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, so basically the whole entire jar becomes colored by that drop. Mm -hmm. um, that's what this idea is. Um, and there's actually good research for both uh, mental filter and it kind of the flip side of it, which is the next one, which is disqualifying the positive. Um, especially with something like depression and anxiety, your brain actually is quicker at picking out um, cognitions that correspond to your beliefs about yourself. So mm -hmm. if you're somebody that tends to be depressed or anxious and you're kind of doing a task where you have to quickly respond to like words on a screen, you are better at responding to words that have a negative emotional valence to them. It actually is a change in your brain structure from developing these shortcuts because that's what most of these cognitive distortions are are shortcuts that have gone wrong mm -hmm. so mental filter is really you know it's that taking a negative information excluding all the positive ones around you and kind of then just basically dwelling on that to the point that something becomes hopeless and you, i think do you mind if i jump in and talk about disqualifying the positive mm-hmm because I see, you know, there's there's a, a you know connection there, and and I think this also connects back to when we talked about imposter syndrome, because something similar can happen with imposter syndrome, where you disc, you think that you're, you know, you are an imposter, you're going to be found out, and any evidence that you're competent, you kind of rule out and say, well, that was, you know, because this person helped, or because this other circumstance happened, and and I see that ha being similar here, where. You, you know, their example of, of disqualifying the positive is a person at work receives a positive review, but they might reject that, uh, the idea that they're a competent employee and attribute the positive review to you know, political correctness or their boss simply not wanting to talk about their employees' performance problems. Yes. So this is, I was going to say, Tiana was the one that made me kind of think of this with our episode on imposter syndrome, where, you know, basically when she is given feedback on kind of her work as a, um, as like the ship's caretaker. Mm -hmm. uh, she basically just says that that's not her duty or it just, yeah. it was almost like luck. It's, it's kind of disqualifying the positive <laughs> kind of where we end up with a lot of just ex explaining away kind of why something may be the way that it is. Yeah. I mean, and, and in that story, you know, that you mentioned that too, she on multiple occasions says, well, you know, her being, if people are talking about her being an engineer, yeah. And she kind of rules that out and says, no, no, that can't be really true. And it isn't really until she defends the ship from the Phoenix that she then is able to kind of flip her thinking on. That. And right. so it's not even the all of the examples of her being competent in this circumstance. It is one kind of sideways a little bit. Right. And this is why the it doesn't always work to just, you know, um, have somebody tell you good things that you've done or good things mm -hmm. about you because you're not going to necessarily believe it. It doesn't fit into your core belief or your schema that you have about yourself. Mm -hmm. And it becomes uncomfortable to try to, to try to um, fit that into what your worldview is. The next two are both go together and they're my favorites because they're jumping to <laughs> conclusions. 
and only mainly because it always makes me think of the jumping to conclusion that from office space which i didn't think about at all until like i read through this whole article beforehand to kind of be you know re- ready to talk about this stuff yeah. and literally as soon as like yeah these two are my favorite and it, and immediately my my mind goes jumping to conclusions yeah oh yeah office space yep the jumping to conclusions matt so there's two different versions of jumping to conclusions there's mind reading <laughs> hilariously for the purpose of Magic the Gathering, <laughs> we actually have people that are quite adept at doing yeah, this. Can actually do that. Can actually do it. Now, it does get into interesting because they still have to make interpretations of the information that they're pulling. It actually can work against them. You know, mm-hmm. if, if Jace pulls something's out of somebody's mind, but he can't, you know, he can get facts out or he can get thoughts out but he doesn't really know the full details behind it. He may still act based on an inaccurate belief or something that he grabs. That's not fully true. Mm -hmm. But the idea behind mind reading is just that simple belief that we know what somebody else is thinking. And, you know, there are certainly circumstances where you can have an idea, but this is referring to negative assumptions usually. And and there's a lot of that Their their example, which I think, think is a great one is you see a stranger with an unpleasant expression and jump to the conclusion that they're thinking something negative about you and especially as someone with social anxiety it's very easy for me to relate to the idea that uh, the assumption that people around me are making negative uh, assessments of me and then well this is you know this is colored by kind of our own our own past because mind reading in some ways is us making you know we might be almost projecting onto other people beliefs that we have. So we think that if we were to give somebody a negative viewpoint that that's or a negative look, that's what we would mean by it. Um, yeah. Or I actually think that, sorry, sorry you finish your thought and then I'll go well, mainly, I actually think that jumping to conclusions, both kind of versions of this mind reading and then fortune telling. And uh, it kills me to say this is something that Bolas does. Mm hmm. Because Bolas um, really believes that he knows how things are going to turn out, um, which is kind of both a version of jumping to conclusions that, you know, he believes his mind reading pieces, he knows how everybody is going to act in the situation. Um, I mean, that's kind of supposed to be, quote unquote, one of his strengths. And he makes completely, he commits to decisions based completely on that. Yeah, Um, he... Not as much as some villains, but he falls into the problem that a lot of the powerful, more intellectual villains tend to fall into, where they don't treat other people like they are rational beings. And so often they will make this assumption based sometimes on good information, too, that these people will behave in this way and will always behave in this way and will react to these things in this set of circumstances. And so then they puppet master situations that sometimes get out of hand because everybody, you know, all people have their own levels of thought and rationalization. And even if you can actually read their minds, you don't know all of the circumstances of their life and how they're going to react in every situation. Yep. And when those plans start to, you know, get wrong in a couple places, then that can cascade. Yes. I mean, he, he, he basically, he, he, the whole idea is that he has everything to know what everybody is going to do his blind side being or his blind spot being basically Liliana mm-hmm. um, now we need that for good storytelling and it is a good illustration of kind of Bolus's ability to kind of he, he, he believes I mean he has abilities to mind read in some ways mm-hmm. and he kind of has orchestrated things in a way that he knows what yeah. people are going to do now the problem becomes once again we take information and we basically make conclusions and predictions based on little or no evidence. So Mm -hmm. with these, this is really based on an idea that we're doing things without really knowing everything that we can. Um, So I, if I go to the party, I'm going to have a bad time is an example of kind of fortune telling. So you go based on the fact of I had a bad time once or twice in the past so I'm not going to go this time because I already know that it's going to be no fun. Mm-hmm. So I don't go. And then it kind of just keeps, you see, most of the problem with these is they are very perpetuating. 
yeah so the 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 um self-fulfilling prophecy so the next next two uh is is magnification or minimization uh, like this the binocular trick is looking <laughs> through things one way or the other so um it's really exaggerating or minimizing the meaning or importance or likelihood of things so if uh you know once again it's catastrophizing so that is going to be to kind of if something very small and minute happens, like um, I trip as I'm walking down the hallway, I am going to catastrophize that into everybody saw this. This is horrible. I can't face the world. I can't let anybody see me again. Mm -hmm. The opposite end of this would be me minimizing kind of anything that I have done. So we're not giving ourselves credit. Yep. Or too much. I mean, that's where, and that's where we can, you know, this is where kind of some of those, more difficult things in terms of our, our uh, if we're developing more kind of narcissism or just kind of unhealthy thought patterns. It can also just be kind of that idea that, you know, if, if we do something good, it's because of us. If somebody else does something bad, it's because, or something good, it's because they got left. Mm -hmm. So we only have a couple more of these that I really want to focus on, but number eight is actually really confusing. So, <laughs> Because of that, I want you to kind of try to puzzle it out, Alex, as best okay. as you can. Um, so, let's see, this is emotional reasoning, they call this. Um, it refers to the acceptance of one's emotions as fact. So they're describing it as, I feel it, therefore it must be true. Um, yeah, and they're saying that it's, it's, a, it's a common distortion, which, which makes sense. Because, I mean, all people have feelings, and all people have a single lens through which they see the world and often that gives them their sense of truth. I don't know. I'm throwing words and I don't know if I'm making any sense. Because this is, you know, emotional reasoning is based off of the idea. We talked at the beginning about thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. We did talk about thought challenging does involve at least some degree of kind of trying to see if you're, what are the facts to support and what are the facts against? Yeah. This is the idea that you take that feeling component Mm -hmm. And you treat that as if it is a factual, actual, true thing. Okay. So this is the idea that if you're walking in, let's say you're walking down a road and it's dark and you're scared, right? You yes. say, well, I have to be scared because I feel scared. My body wouldn't be reacting in this way if there wasn't something for me to be scared of. Okay. Remember the fight or flight kind of mechanism? Yes. You're treating things as if they are a threat because your body is treating it as if it's a threat. This is oh, okay. a very similar idea. Okay. So if I'm jealous of a partner, I tr take that feeling of jealousy, that emotion, and I treat that as fact that they must be doing something to elicit that feeling. To elicit that feeling. Okay. So I think of this with our red mages in some ways, and I hope we don't get like negative fan mail. <laughs> Is it fan mail at that point? Anyway, but this, it, it, um, this is kind of what I think we run into with um, the Chandra Jaya kind of pairing where we see Jaya kind of trying to get Chandra to use her passion to kind of make good decisions mm -hmm. instead of using her passion and her, some of times her anger and her fiery and just acting based on those alone. Like, I have to do this in this situation because my emotions are so intense. Okay. Does that kind of make sense? I think so. Okay. Because this is a hard one. Like I said, this is one that is like, it, it, that's why it says it's, it's one that is very difficult and kind of surprising to people. Yeah. And it's one of those, you know, they even say, of course, we know it isn't reasonable to take our feelings as fact. And, and that's a thing that we rationally know. Yeah. However, feelings are not general, not, I shouldn't say not general, but they're not always rational. Right. Emotions I mean, come from a lot of sources and yes. a lot, they aren't beholden to, to logic. Right. So I think of this as kind of that idea with Jaya kind of telling Chandra to kind of, you want to keep the passion, you know, with kind of, you know, Jaya is like that example of the red mage who has, who has been there and who has seen it and done it. That's mm -hmm. why I think she can be, I, th I think that pairing of being a mentor in some ways, if she is and can be to Chandra is Chandra. It, it released at points in the stories that we've seen her is pure emotion. Yeah. Um, 
and she is acting based on emotion. And that is kind of what this leads to. Well, I think we should move on to number nine. I know. I was just going to laugh because at the start of you and I talking, you mentioned this one. Yes. And I, I uh, when I teach this, I oftentimes go through this and I, I, I tend to use a lot of um, what appears to be kind of counterintuitive or language that doesn't make sense. And I think sometimes people get a kick out of how excited I get about things because <laughs> I always talk about our favorite cognitive distortions and people are like, what do you mean our favorite? These aren't good things. And I'm like, well, but they are, they are yeah. like, they're actually very helpful and informative. And I get really excited by that. And should statements is one of my favorite to probably use in my own life and also <laughs> to teach about. So you, you practice what you what you teach. Yes. Uh-huh. I try to. Okay. I That's should good. at least. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So are we gonna keep making jokes or uh well it's just I mean, <laughs> I mean making jokes is great. Like, okay, you, you should read this one then. Okay, then yeah, I sh- I should read this then. So <laughs> um just statements <laughs> are what it sounds like. They are telling yourself that you should do this, you must do that, you ought to do that. Um, I mean, and, and by and large, it's good to have a list of things that we would like to accomplish or things that we need to do in order to accomplish other things. But when we, is in their words, when we hang too tightly to our should statements about ourselves, the result is often guilt that we cannot live up to them. And this is, this is very much true. Like I go to work now and, and, and my team, because we print the checks for the company I work for we're essential. So I have to, we have to go to work. So I've been working two to three days a week. We rotate days and there I go, there are a lot of things that need to be finished in the day. Um, You know, we usually have three to three and a half people working on our processes and now we're down to two. And so there's a lot of things where I get to the end of the day and it's like, Oh, I should have taken care of this. I should have done that because now it's left for the other half of my team. And now they need to deal with this tomorrow. And so I have a lot of should statements kind of hanging around and it's it's taking some time and to, to kind of work through the 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 understanding and, and the guilt from that because it's like there's only so much I can do in the time that I'm in the office. And if I can't accomplish everything, then I can't accomplish everything. I need to do what's most important. And if things don't get done, they don't get done. But that still leaves these should statements around. So should statements are often used as basically almost kind of like rules. Um, This is a statement that is very highly so should statements. And we're not going to fully talk about this, but there is this idea of kind of fairness, which plays in well with this because it is this idea that people should act in a way that is fair. They should act in a way that is beneficial to each other. Um, You know, People should not, you know, cut you off in traffic. It's all of these statements. Should statements are very strongly tied to anger when they are directed at other people. So Mm. I want to talk about the fact that should statements can be used for ourselves and they can be used towards other people. Should statements towards ourselves are ways that we try to motivate ourselves. So I, you know, I should lose five pounds in the next month. Okay. That is kind of a goal that I have. The language of should changes that because the end result is if I don't live up to them, and we often can't, um, is guilt, Mm -hmm. which then leads to some of the ones up above of why did I even bother? There's no point. I failed. And it just spirals down. Should towards other people lead to anger or resentment when they don't do what we think that they should do. You're saying should statements lead to the dark side. <laughs> they do. And actually, in, in, <laughs> in dialectical behavior therapy, which is a, a, a therapy that we have talked about on the show before, there's a very fun statement that just says you shouldn't should yourself. <laughs> See, I, I enjoy uh, playing with language that yeah i think that's why you and i get along so well i think so so you know from looking at kind of our our situations um when i think about this i actually think of our favorite eugenicist in like urza because urza <laughs> has a lot of should statements that is kind of how he is setting up like 
oh. his world. I mean, he he basically he has this kind of. <laughs> I should create this weird mutant race and then just throw them away. Well, yeah, because that I mean, and because like we need to have things to be in a specific order, and they should happen that way. It is that idea of a just environment or a, a just thing, and we could tell that his decision making based on his thought processes and. I'm going to tell you there were should statements there was not the best. Oh, so Hobbs, I, I, I have to ask. Yeah. So in, in the, the, the planning document, I've taken some notes and things. Have, have you gone through that list of some of the stuff that I'm thinking about for future episodes? Not recently. Okay. Because at the, in that list is the line, you know, we haven't talked about Urza, how horrible Urza is lately. <laughs> and just, just that line. And so this worked out really well. It worked out really well. I mean, if if we want to talk about poor like thought processes that have led to really bad decision making, <laughs> Urza is very, very high on the list. Yeah. Um, there are some that would say that Bolas is, but I do not think that Bolas actually <laughs> has a problem with his thought processes. The problem is other people. Yeah, it, it naturally. Yeah. The other people can't live up to Bolas's well, they just interrupt and they don't do what they should do. <laughs> uh, okay. See, so one thing I want to highlight to people as they're going through these is um, you may start picking up, noticing some of this stuff in your language. It is, if you even just get to like where Alex and I are right now, kind of making fun of it and laughing, that is actually a great start a lot of times. Um, when I would run groups and teach these, I flat out would have people then point out every time I said a word that would either be like an all or none or a should statement. And they, they would like find it great to do that. And in my mind, all I could think of was you're actually learning it, you know, <laughs> so like, you're actually like yes. learning what we're talking about. So I'm glad that you're doing that. Yep. Um, <laughs> just real quick, we'll hit on a couple, um, labeling and mislabeling, uh, this is just, once again, a lot of these are extreme forms of things. This is when mm -hmm. we don't talk about a person's behavior or what happened, but we just label them. The problem with labeling and mislabeling both is that it is usually very emotionally loaded in language that does not lead to any room to kind of change. Mm -hmm. And very small sample. It's usually first impression with mm -hmm. no content. Or right. very little content. Right. Like, <laughs> so, you know, it, it is that example of um, if I just label Alex as a jerk for some reason. <laughs> I have no idea how that could happen. But I, it, I mean, I sure, don't know. I'm sure there are either. circumstances. But if I just called him a jerk, that is the least helpful thing in the world. Because in my mind, it just reinforces that idea that he's a jerk. So I'm likely to act based on that. So, um, one of my favorite examples that I use whenever I'm talking to people is, you know, let's say a couple of us are walking down a hallway at the Tolarian Academy and I wave to Alex and he doesn't wave back. And I don't bother seeking information for other people because I don't need to. I don't need to gather information because I am that smart. Otherwise, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be at the Tolarian Academy. So I label Alex as a jerk because he didn't wave back. What do you think is going to happen the next time that I see you, Alex? I suspect if you treat me like a jerk, I may, my assessment will be, well, Hobbs is a jerk. Yeah. So I then next time act in a way, my behavior, so we go to that thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. I feel slighted by you. So next time I either ignore you or I, you know, punch you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> one, one, one or the other. One or the other, because <laughs> those are the only options. Those are the only way. options. Um, Clearly, but the idea here is if I label you a jerk, it doesn't actually like it. Then colors how I interact with you, which mm -hmm. is then going to in turn kind of just you, you see that these thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. If that chain is never getting broken, it just self reinforces. Right, and then I do do something that makes you treat me like a jerk, and then I just use that as more further evidence that you are. Mm -hmm. Now, if I have at any point checked out any of this and said to, you know, somebody standing next to me, Joyra, perhaps, I feel like I would hang out with Joyra, but 
I turn to Joyra and I say, hey, did you notice that? And uh, she's able to say, like, Alex really looked like he was in the middle of reading, like, a tome of some sort. Or Alex was really in the middle of doing something. I might be able to shift my opinion and not treat you like a complete asshole the next time we see each other. Which, which I would appreciate. Right, which I would appreciate. <laughs> Cast and done. Um, we'll end with personalization. So personalization is basically that you take something, as the name implies, you take everything personally, and you either you assign blame to yourself without any logical reason to believe you are to blame. The extreme form of this is probably Gideon, I think, from our example. <laughs> like, Gideon really does see himself. <laughs> like this, it's, I just laugh because it says uh, instance of moodiness or irritation, and I just, like, I still picture Gideon in some ways. Um, so the severe examples is believing that you are the cause of everything around you that kind of happened or negative. So mm -hmm. this, what's funny is the cognitive distortions of this were really developed out of depression. We're not looking at the flip tie because then again, we get back to Bolas. He really does believe that the world or the universe revolves around him. Or at least that it should and he'll make it that way. Right, right. I feel like I need to say something nice about Bolas before we move on. Bolas just wanted to be left alone in red, and he wouldn't have developed these unhealthy thought patterns <laughs> if his brother hadn't have been a complete dick. Yep. Yep. Clearly. Like, Ugin, Clearly. jerk, right from the beginning. Right. Stole his name. Didn't want to help him go, like, murder tons of people to avenge their sister, really. Yeah, goodness. Yeah. God, I feel bad for Bolas again. This, this episode was <laughs> great. <laughs> So there you guys have so it. There we go. That's cognitive, cognitive distortions. distortions. Uh, the key takeaway. Um, well, what did you take away, Alex? <laughs> oh, my takeaway is uh, that you know you and I might not hang out if we're at the Talarian Academy, which is you know makes me sad. <laughs> well, it just so depends on if you don't I, wave at me or not. That's, but see, the problem is I would be reading a book walking down the hall, so I definitely wouldn't wave at you. That's that's my concern. <laughs> I'm clearly i would miss that my concern is this is your takeaway from the episode <laughs> i feel like there's other it's stuff harsh. you should have figured out i you know i am just make i'm keeping those should statements off my shoulders i'm not <laughs> i'm not taking that on that guilt that's not my my burden well you know what just I <laughs> <laughs> i want to thank everybody for joining us um this has been a topic that i've really wanted to introduced because this is an area that we can use to build off of for a lot of other episodes because this idea this is kind of the most prevalent at least currently even with our newer therapies like acceptance and commitment and mindfulness-based ones thinking is a big portion of that what we tell ourselves what we do based on what we think or feel is really a core i mean I, I'm biased because this is the type of therapy that I really believe in, but it, it is kind of a way to kind of approach just even what am I thinking about and is that thought healthy, helpful, or accurate? And if any of you out there have had bad cognitive behavioral therapists, because I hear stories kind of about them and I've heard people complain that all they were told to do was basically like write down their thoughts and how they were right or wrong. I just want to add in that emphasis on healthy and helpful because that can help you reframe a little bit better. The goal of all of these cognitive distortions is to not not have them. It's to mm -hmm. be aware of them. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought this. These are, this is a topic I've wanted to do like some portion of this, but this is much more of the topic than I was even aware because this is, I mean, this is right in your wheelhouse and that's so glad that this is a thing to, that you kind of brought to, this episode and this is the type of stuff that i love to talk about the the whole idea of thinking about thinking is something that has fascinated me for most yeah and it just even the, the realization of how much we are actually thinking can become overwhelming um and that's why my goal oftentimes for me is i have to learn to slow that down so that i don't get caught in a spinning wheel mm -hmm. which is really what can happen with those thoughts feelings and behaviors because once again, it's all going on inside of our lying brain. Until next time, 
don't steal an entity from somebody else. Mm -hmm. Get your own entities. And get your own entity.